Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today in health IT, telehealth, the path forward. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. We want to thank our show sponsors who are investing in developing the next generation of health leaders, Gordian Dynamics, Quill Health, Tausite, Nuance, Canon Medical, and Current Health. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. All right, so we're doing a deep dive on a single article from the Harvard Business Review. The telehealth era is just beginning, is the name of the article. Worth a read, and I'm just breaking it down over a couple of days. It was written by Robert Pearl, who was a former CEO of Kaiser Permanente Medical Group, and Brian Whaling is the executive director of telehealth services at Intermountain Healthcare. So in the first episode, we set it up. Here's our thesis. Having analyzed health outcomes data from the Independent National Committee for Quality Assurance, health plan member satisfaction surveys from J.D. Power, and internal data from our own organization, we are confident that full implementation of five opportunities would improve clinical quality nationwide by 20%, increase access to care by 20%, and reduce health care spending by 20%, 15 to 20%. All right, so that's their premise. Let me tell you about the opportunities that they laid out and we talked about yesterday. Opportunity number one, reduce expensive and unnecessary trips to the ER. Number two, reverse America's chronic disease crisis. Opportunity number three, address disparities in healthcare. Opportunity number four, make specialty care faster and more efficient. And opportunity number five, provide access to the best doctors. All right, so that is what that essentially is a summary of the first two episodes that we talked about this. The next is, okay, this is great. We have this opportunity. We can do these things and improve access outcomes and, and equity uh, across the board and costs across the board. So the question becomes, all right, how do we make it happen? And they go into this at the end. And it's, it's, no small feat, by the way. I mean, they're, they're touching on a lot of stuff at the end of this article. And, you know, so let's just go, go into it and then we'll talk about it. So how to spur adoption. Number one is integration. Essentially, the death of the independent doctor, everybody's associated with a health system and they are integrated with their electronic medical record. They're integrated with their tools. They're integrated in a health system. There's a lot of reasons for that, not the least of which is going to be a recommendation later on that everybody needs to be salaried and as few people as possible need to be on the fee-for-service model, right? So integration, everybody's operating in the best interest of health, not uh, financial gain. And then the next is capitation. Most providers in the United States work for a fee-for-service basis. They are paid for each test, procedure, and treatment they provide the model incentivizes them to offer services whether or not the patient needs them. Logically, doctors whose income rides on the quality or quantity of services they provide will resist any model that reduces ER visits, specialty referrals, hospital admissions, or surgeries, right? What people get paid for, they do. 
And that is what this is saying. And they say an alternative to fee-for-service is prepaid value-based approach known as capitation, widely supported by policy experts. It pays a risk-adjusted fixed annual amount per patient for all services provided. Although fee-for-service still accounts for most U.S. healthcare expenditures, capitation is gaining steam. For example, 42% of Medicare beneficiaries in 2021 were enrolled in Medicare Advantage programs, which uses capitated reimbursement up from just 13% in 2005. That's a significant game, 13% to 42%. How does this work? Well, more than 90% of Intermountain members belong to one of the organization's select health capitated insurance plans, while 95% of Kaiser Permanente's 12.5 million members are in a capitated plan. That's how this works. It works when that is in place. It works for Intermountain. It works for Kaiser. It works for Geisinger. It works for uh, CVS Aetna. It works for United Optum. When you take on the risk of the population and you're getting that first dollar, you are now incented to decrease the cost and improve the outcome, right? And so if multiple visits, it's just more efficient. It's more efficient to do a televisit than it is to do an insight on, on in-person visit. So if it's more efficient to do that and you're going to get better outcomes because you have more swings at the plate, you're more connected with how their health is actually going and you can you can do an intervention at the right time then it makes sense that is the number one thing period end of discussion you have to be getting that first dollar of service if you're not getting that first dollar and being incented to keep the population well if you're getting paid and incented based on fee for service it's not going to work it's not going to work because you're trading higher margin higher revenue opportunities for lower margin, lower revenue opportunities. And so they're not going to do it. But if you're getting that first dollar, if you're getting that insurance dollar, and you're also delivering on the care, it can be a highly profitable endeavor. And this is why you see United Healthcare buying so many physician practices through their Optum Medical Group, right? So they understand this, that the more people they sign up for these plans, and they can control not only that first dollar spend, that the, the telehealth visit spend, but also the primary care spend and then direct the uh, care after that. It's just a, a business model that works and it works extremely well. So again, that's going to be the number one thing. So when if your health system is slow to adopt telehealth, my guess is I'm going to look at it and I'm not going to see this. I'm not going to see a significant population on capitated insurance plans. It's just not going to be there. But if it is there, then you got to drive telehealth in every aspect of your organization because it's where your efficiencies are going to be gained and it's where better outcomes are going to be gained and access and equity are going to be gained as we talked about the opportunities yesterday. So they go on. The ideal model for the future of U.S. medicine, one to replace or at least significantly augment today's fragmented fee-for-service approach is tele-driven health, an integrated prepaid tech-enabled system in which teams of primary care and specialty physician work together to deliver exceptional care. All the system's physicians have the same financial incentives to keep people healthy. They aim to provide convenient, expanded access via telemedicine. They're rewarded on the basis of quality of care delivered to a defined patient population and the cost savings is achieved. All right, 
this is what Amazon cares about. This is what Amazon is trying to do, right? So they are, they're hiring physician groups. It is tech enabled. They're gonna to try to get some aspect of a dollar. This is why I made the case five years ago, seven years ago, feels like it was a long time ago. That's about seven years ago. I made the case that I believed eventually Amazon was gonna be in the insurance game, in the healthcare insurance game, right? Because Amazon is big, they have to grow. Healthcare is what, 15 to 20% of our economy. In order to be a company of those sizes, you have to touch that 20% at some at some point and they are in the pharmacy business and uh, even the device business but at the end of the day they want to grab more of it this is their play to do that and we will see how it plays out i mean there's a lot of things that will make or break that but that's this is the direction they're going the most logical candidates to drive the creation of such a system are employers this is the this is where they lose me. The most logical candidates to drive the creation of such a system are employers who currently provide health insurance coverage to 155 million Americans, nearly half of the country's population. All right. So the first thing I would say is the employers don't provide. I mean, they they provide health insurance coverage, but this is essentially saying they should create a health system, and they're not in that business. I would strongly recommend against doing that. If you're a large enough business. Essentially, this model that they're talking about, you can do through someone like Transparent. So it, it doesn't make sense. The smaller people, you're going to have to find some way to get aggregated. And if you can aggregate enough, you can create the same kind of model that Transparent is, which essentially is, uh, and Glenn gets upset when I say care navigation, but essentially it is a, it, it is a way of delivering care to your employees at a much more efficient manner, much better outcomes, much more transparency into the overall process. And they get paid to reduce your costs. They actually get paid over and above it. I don't want to do a transparent commercial, but essentially that's what you're going to have to do. I don't think employers are going to build this out. I think they're going to enable it. They're going to enable companies like transparent and copycats to that who are going to come in, come alongside them and create a model where health is incented that's what we're looking for here they talk about that fact they think it's going to happen through purchasing groups purchaser business group on health uh, could lead the way pbgh represents uh, goliaths like walmart costco microsoft and intel it already formed a division focused on reducing the cost of healthcare. there's also a consortium like the north star network out of rochester new york which aims to lower costs for all employers so this is this is that that aspect I was talking about. Somebody's going to serve the large employers. Somebody needs to aggregate and serve the small employers. And that's what we're talking about here. I'm going to close up the article with this. Let's see. Kaiser and Intermountain's experience suggests that 30 to 50,000 enrollees are needed to support the requisite hiring primary care and specialty physicians. Few businesses have that many employees in a given geography or the financial ability to make the necessary changes themselves. But 15 to 20 companies together could achieve this critical mass. Again, I'm not sure. This is where I feel like they jumped the shark and they lost me a little bit. But I will go back to some of the things they did say, which I, I agree with significantly. I think it's about capitation. I, I think it's about getting that first dollar. I also think uh, fee-for-service has weird incentives and always has had weird incentives. So you need to go to a different model. Uh, I think the people who are delivering care cannot be incentivized in any way other than health. 
And so for that matter, that's why I think there is a salaried position for the physicians, which is the best way to make sure that everybody's working towards that same thing. And I think it's going to be tech enabled. I think at the end of the day, it's not only tech enabled from the video visit, which is the obvious aspect of it, but it's an integrated delivery across the board and the ability to pull in specialists when you need to, or dish the call to a specialist when you need to. So if your system is right in the middle of this right now, and you're trying to figure out how to take it to the next step, I would look around. I would look around and say, do we have the right business environment? Until you have the right business environment, this will sputter. It'll get used. It'll get used and you could put it into different areas to improve the patient experience, but mostly it'll be driven by improving the clinician experience. Until you move from a fee-for-service model in some way, shape, or form, you are not going to accelerate your telehealth program. So that's how I'm seeing it today. So as the CIO in those situations, what I would be looking for is the places where I could implement it. It would not be a system-wide, let's push this, why aren't we moving forward kind of thing. You got to understand the business realities. If you're in a fee-for-service model, we're not going to trade a set of revenue that is more profitable than another set of revenue that is lower profitability, which is telehealth. So that's not going to happen. But if you have the business situation in place, in play, then you should be pushing this as quickly as you possibly can, because the more efficiencies you drive, the better outcomes you drive, the more health you drive in a capitated environment, the better you are doing for your community. All right, that's all for today. If you know someone that might benefit from our channel, please forward them a note. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders, Gordian Dynamics, Quill Health, Taucite, Nuance, Canon Medical, and Current Health. Check them out at thisweekhealth.com slash today. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.